And we're back with another episode of Santa Barbara Public Library Coffee Break. As usual, joined by co-host... Cassidy Charles. And today's guest... Dolly Knight. And we did open the show before we started recording with We Are the Worst Hosts. That was <laughs> the Cassidy's quote and uh, uh, apt. <laughs> inspirational. We like to be off the cuff and conversational <laughs> here at the SBPL Coffee Break. Yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's less an indictment of us as hosts and more just the egalitarian nature of the show that we are very, you know... And on the bright side, I mean, everything we talk about is content. <laughs> <laughs> there are no titles here, yeah, basically. Um, so Dolly is our um, senior librarian. For stuff. <laughs> we'll stuff. just say stuff. Yeah. For <laughs> You'll most likely see her at the central Everywhere. library on the main <laughs> floor. Most floors as well. She um, She's likely the person you talk to for public services, patron services, and things like that. If you've got a problem... Yo, she'll solve You'll it. be talking to Dolly. <laughs> Check out the hook while her DJ revolves it. Me, yeah. me and Sandra. And then now... <laughs> within the policies of the library, I should say. And now quite often at the branches as well. So um, mm-hmm. if you need a baked good... <laughs> and is or East Side, is side a branch in this situation? Yes. Or is he, okay, yes. Because yes. sometimes, you know, they share... We're one system. They share our budget, but yes, in yeah. terms of whether... A baked good or La Super Rica. Mm. Oh. Be nice to me. <laughs> Julia Child's fam- favorite restaurant, which I guess has been kind of slightly debunked over the years, but still, I would s- I would still use it as a you know, nugget. It's still got the moniker. Oh, and there and the food is really good. It so is good. good. Yeah, very cheese so heavy. Good. Yeah, if you're not into the cheese, maybe not and, for and you. See me as a larger fellow. The plastic lawn chairs sometimes like they can shift, and I can like yeah, it's it's a. Yeah, you yeah. gotta grab a bench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta get They got I benches would, too. Yeah. I would like to know more about the field next to. Oh does, yeah. anyone, does anyone know more about no. that? Or if you do, please hit yeah, us up. <laughs> Large open space. We should do some research. Yeah, yeah then blink your eyes and it'll be like a eight complex apartments so you never know. But, <laughs> but I, yeah. you know, with all the development that's occurred over the city's we growth, we should just check with Lisa. Yeah, it should, be, it should be public records in terms of who owns the parcel, at least, and uh, previous <laughs> previous submitted doc blueprints. Yeah. We should ask, oh, a, we should ask a librarian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, but in any case, uh, we usually start the show with yep. our ramblings, but also our calendar of events um, happening at the libraries on December 8th at the Montecito Library at 11 o'clock, the Fiction Book Club, or I, I guess it's the general uh, book club, the Montecito Book Club, uh, will be reading and discussing Becoming Nicole, The Transformation of an American Family by Amy Ellis Nutt. Um, Has on, anyone read it yet? I've been wanting nope. to read it, but I haven't gotten to it. <laughs> it's on my list. Mm-hmm. On December 9th at the Central Library at 2 p.m., there will be Art Hour um, with Hillary, previous podcast uh, appearer, apparition. (laughs) And then the the Art Hour, a successful summer program that has gone... um, uh, program makes good. Yeah, <laughs> program and they, continues. And they've covered beyond the bounds of summer. Yes. They've covered a wide range of artists, you know, Basquiat yeah. and you know. So yeah. December 9th, they'll be looking at the work of Giorgio O'Keefe. So learning a little bit about Giorgio O'Keefe, and then um, making your own production in the Giorgio O'Keefe style. Large flowers, <laughs> a true heavyweight. Southwest, yeah, a true heavyweight of the art world. Uh, on December 11th at Carpinteria, the writers group will be meeting at 10 o'clock. Um, on December 12th uh, at the Central Library at 5.30, the Ensemble Theater Book Club will be meeting and having read, we'll discuss The Legend of Georgia McBride uh, with the dramaturge from the Ensemble Theater Company, Sam Lane. Um, it's a general discussion of the show rather than the specific production put on by Ensemble Theater Company. Um, yeah. 
uh, and copies of that book will be available at the Central Library. Um, and then on December 13th, we have the Santa Barbara Museum of Art, Know Before You Go, uh, showcasing. They'll be ha hosting a specific exhibit at the museum, um, Let It Snow. And the w they'll, they'll feature works of Maurice Matrio, George Wesley Bellows, uh, Grandma Moses. Is it a holiday theme or like a weather theme? It's a snow theme. Snow. Snow. So appropriate. But not like slang snow. This isn't like a drug thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Because you well, can, I mean, you know, when you have a theme, you can broaden it or, you mm -hmm. know. And we don't get a lot of the classical snow. Yeah. You can get, well, it's Here. a conversation you can have with this. At, <laughs> at Paseo Nuevo does like this faux snow and it's made out of like soap bubbles. Mm -hmm. And I still remember the first time I sent one, he loved it, but then it was so slippery on the floor that he slipped and fell. So. Oh, no. <laughs> but he still loved it. He still, and he still, it's one of his. Life, life is full of beautiful things <laughs> that will betray you. It's one of his favorite <laughs> holiday memories still. He's like, can we go to, the, go to the mall and play in the snow for Christmas? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So we go every year. Aw. In any case, that know before you go is on December 13th at 5 o'clock. Um, and then really mid-December, mid there'll be holiday origami card making at Carpinteria. Teen Anime and Manga Club at Central will convene New York Convert. New York? New York? The New Yorker oh, okay, conversation cause, group. Because at first I thought it was Just a New York conversation New York. group, yeah. and it was like one of those like Italian Be conversation beautiful groups. Beautiful accent. Yeah, it was like, hey, <laughs> walking here. Which I get to say is <laughs> someone up. from the tri-state <laughs> area. Uh, that will convene at Montecito, and then the Buellton and Solvang Coding Clubs will be meeting. Um, but all of, for more information on those events and at any time, it's at the sbplibrary.org. So, Dolly, Sorry. you have joined us today. Excited. And once again, just like Craig, our last guest, Dolly, very prepared, sent us some items <laughs> to I discuss in advance. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sort the of? show sheet for us. <laughs> They were like, send me that stuff. And I was like, Yeah, usually Here? it's like a, a mental preparation, then you, you're just ready to go. But when you actually write it down and send it in advance, it, it, oh, it helps immensely. But yes, very, mm -hmm. very well prepared. So, what have so. you been reading, watching, pop culturally consuming? Just a lot of different stuff. We've, uh, we're pretty addicted to the, and my husband and I are pretty addicted to our Netflix subscription. And then also Hulu. So, we've been kind of binge watching. Um, I guess, well, I guess binge-watching, you have to be in one sitting. So nightly, uh -huh. we've <laughs> been consuming just season after season of shows. So we've been pretty heavily into the Marvel shows um, that are on Netflix, although we also um, jumped briefly over to FX for Legion, too. Although oh, I yeah. don't know if that and was on And you have list. Hulu, the Hulu Now or we whatever it is? We do, yeah. We had Hulu and um, and Netflix. So we also watch, like, Castle Rock, which is a Hulu, Cause the Hulu original. Hulu's the one I've never made the leap to. I've always yeah. been curious because I always want to watch the show as it airs, and Hulu's the only one that does that. So. Well, yeah, that was what they were doing with Castle Rock was they were dropping it once a week and I think they did the same thing with Handmaid's Tale right which so it's still sort of like it's a streaming service acting like mm -hmm. classic TV which is a little like weird yeah. Yeah. for Castle Rock it was really hard it was because we <laughs> yeah well we were able to watch I think we only tuned in like halfway through the season so we were able to watch the first five and then it was just agony because you're sitting there going what's happening <laughs> and that show is really heavily based on the works of Stephen King mm -hmm. so it's set obviously in a town in Maine small town in Maine occupied by horrible things um, and it revolves a lot around the Shawshank prison mm -hmm. and um obviously involves like classic king tropes like uh, the hor 
horrible nature of the human spirit and <laughs> uh, psychics and um, other dimensions and things like that. So it was, it's been really interesting to watch, but as waiting for it was the hardest part. Oh, Tom Petty. They were <laughs> they were promoting uh, Castle Rock heavily at Comic Con this summer, yeah. and it was really interesting to see, like they would just take over these buildings and things and parks that already existed um, by the San Diego Con- Convention Center. But then you'd be like, why is there a car in this waiting pool? And then you'd be like, oh, it's a promo for the show. <laughs> So it was very strange, but very cool. And Stephen King was my first deep dive in terms of authors. Like, uh, you know, you start to feel like you're being edgier alternative, so you read a bunch of like. Do you remember horror. what the first Stephen King um, book it was, you read? It was the Dark Half. Oh. Yeah, Dark Half, and then I did the Stand, the uncut, yeah, giant honking one, and then uh, yeah, then we did, then I did the Cujo, Carrie, Christine run, and then Dark Tower kicked up, and Dark Tower was just like, yeah. I still am very, I mean, you had Idris Elba, you had all these opportunities, that Dark Tower film. I thought it was going to be so what good. Happened? I was sending trailers what to happened? friends. I was hyping it up and I was like, oh dear. I, I made <laughs> what hath a I choice. <laughs> what hath I wrought on my friends? They were text back, what are you talking about? I don't want to see a sequel. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. And I was like, no, it's over. My moment has passed. Total shocker that that wasn't like, how, how, how? <laughs> I mean, how? It's, 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 it's dense. The, the sexiest I mean, man yeah. alive can make that work. <laughs> just, just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Some things are better left to the books. Once again, book better okay. than movie. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then um, you mentioned the library book by Susan yeah. Orlean. I did want to so talk about that. I just started the, Su- the Susan Orlean, the library book, which I bought. Sorry. <laughs> That it's holds cue. <laughs> it holds cue. It's hard. <laughs> I don't know what our current holds cue on that book is, but I imagine it's long. Astronomical. Um, the binding on that book, by the way, if you're a bibliophile. It's high quality? It's good. For a paperback? It's a paperback, it's, right? It's not. It's a hardcover, oh. but it doesn't have a dust jacket. Oh, um, it's okay. got a very mild decal. It's, a, it's a not an aggressive decal. It's bright a red decal. Yeah. Um, and inside, in the back cover, there's a there's a, a sort of faux book pocket. It's not a real pocket, so it's not designed to annoy too many librarians. Ooh. There's nothing, you know. <laughs> librarians hate uh, this librarian secret. Librarians hate anything with moving parts that comes Multiple in a book. Multiple pieces. Maps. God help even, us. Even yeah. those wonderful little silk. Bookmarks uh, attached in the just a, just a pain because it's going through so many different hands. So she very kindly made it a fake book book pocket, but it does have some little nice touches in in there. So it's it's um, visually it's really appealing. And then I'm only a couple chapters in there, but it's like page five. There was somebody I went to library school with on it, so it's Ooh. kind of fun on that. On and that and I had never well. heard about the event that it the, the library fire in '86. Eighty uh, something. No, it was eighty six. Oh, eighty six, yeah. right? Because because Sorry. the reason I mean because it didn't get a lot of news coverage, and I and it turns out uh, Chernobyl was like a few days later. Right. So it got buried. Like that's <laughs> hysterical. But um, that that I think on the last episode with Craig, I alluded that I had gone down to the Los Angeles the Public Library years. recently, right. and it was the event that was going on was the twenty fifth anniversary of the grand reopening of the library, because after the nineteen eighty six fire. They had already been planning to do a renovation of the central, the LA Central Library, but then this fire destroyed. It's the largest uh, library fire. Maybe oh gosh, <laughs> now I'm spouting off. 
It was like fake the facts, modern, but yeah. Yeah, there was like yeah. over a million books damaged yeah. and things of that sort. And in terms uh, of like modern library damage, it was pretty much the books the just library melted of Alexandria. Of and, you, and I remember zero news coverage at the time. I mean, I was only like five or six at the time, but I remember zero news coverage. I didn't know much about it. And, and until I read the synopsis of the book, I didn't know what actually happened. So it yeah. was it's pretty incredible that something like that would just get swept on the road, but there was Chernobyl, a huge stock market crash the year after. So mm-hmm. the 80s were just a time. So. But th- they have <laughs> all of this. Um, I, it's it's interesting, like kind of what you're saying of like, it was news, but then it also kind of flew under the radar. But then attending that event, they had all of the, the promotional materials that had gotten sent out um, as they needed to fundraise to, it was like run for the books. They had, or it was a, they did a walkathon uh, to support getting books back on the shelves and all those things. And um, it really changed and revitalized the library at the time. And that area of L.A. at the time, I mean, it's a lot different now. They have the Standard Hotel. They have a lot of things. But it was still pretty interesting, colorful. For downtown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that part of downtown, right around 6th over there. I mean, they have a Standard Hotel now. And you had the Biltmore, which was where they filmed Ghostbusters. But, like, that that uh, Pershing, Pershing Square area now, that park didn't – that was a Mayor Reardon initiative. That was in the early to mid-90s that he built that Pershing Square. And it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of weird, but it's still better than it was because that was like a major, just a, uh, it was rough. <laughs> Ghostbusters yeah. also at yeah. LAPL. Oh, yeah. did, did you that's it? where the Slimer Oh, that's right, downstairs. Yeah. But downstairs, it's, yeah. it's in the back. Yeah. yeah. The, but the, they the, had the library the, um, ghost. In the display cabinets of Imperium, they had the... Uh, the card catalog? They, well, <laughs> they had the... Um, Per the uh, recording permit with like uh, yeah. Dan Akronoy. <laughs> That's right. The library, everyone. The, down, the back area of the library is where they filmed the library ghost part, and then the Biltmore is where they filmed the Slimer Hotel. Something stuff. beautifully bureaucratic about <laughs> those the records. Permits. And then the Bradbury Building, a block and a half down, is where Blade Runner and all those other films are filmed. So, so. 500 Days of Summer and all Pretty that. Pretty much, you can't walk through downtown so LA even now without like a lot of trucks and yeah. You know, so filming I've, going I've heard kind of mixed. Uh, impressions on the book some people some readers went into the library book thinking that it was going to be true crime ish because a crime is a central part of the book arson others have kind of gone into it thinking it was a salute to libraries and reading and whatnot so i don't know if you can speak to either it's sort of mixed and that was uh, one thing about the news coverage like news coverage it sort of does pick up on from the contemporary time only really picked up when they started thinking it was arson and that's Mm. when it started getting a slight amount of coverage it's just like library fire caused by arson and that was the only time people really became interested in it when there was this idea of arson um and i'm not super super far in it in it but she really does only start to get interested in the people working there and the um, just the process of administering a library that size, I think, becomes really quickly more fascinating to her than the fire itself. Um, so, it, yeah, it's definitely going a direction that's not so much true crime, mainly because the person that they kind of quickly identified as a suspect is super dead. He died in 93. <laughs> that's, what I was thi- that's what I was thinking of. He, he died um, pretty a really long time ago his family is still alive and so she talks to some of them um but there's just not there's not gonna be a lot of closure on that and then also like arson investigation itself is really 
weird. It's it's a very it's, uh, interesting inexact, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's an art form more than a science. Because the percentage sadly. of the yeah. percentage of fires that actually get quote unquote solved yeah. is very low. I and mean, a lot yeah. of it's based on like old wives' tales because so many arson investigators tend to be like firefighters as opposed to scientists. There's a lot more. Um, intergenerational knowledge where it's like we just know that this is caused by xyz as opposed to like we're chemists and we know kind of like a storytelling so so the experience is super valuable but sometimes it comes back around to like oh that's not actually how fire works and with this fire specifically they talk a lot about how they had just never seen a fire in a condi- in a condensed space like that behave like that. They could only have like the firemen in the building for five minutes at a time because they were getting so overwhelmed from the from just the heat of it, and they thought the building was going to collapse. So it's just a very difficult thing to even trace. Was it arson? Was it somebody smoking? Was it somebody mm-hmm. just doing something they shouldn't have been doing? Um, so it's. It's interesting because there's another, there's a couple other books. Um, recently, the History Book Club read The Devil in the White City, and it reminds me of that, where The Devil in the White City, you go into it thinking the serial killer is going to be the most interesting part, but it kind of turns out that the logistics of putting on something like a World's Fair <laughs> becomes the most interesting part. So you're just sitting there like, enough with this serial killer. What are they going to do? The roof's <laughs> collapsed under the snow. Go back. So it's it's becoming that same thing of like, Enough with this arson thing. What are they going to do? They've taken, you know, um, thousands and thousands of water damaged books and they put them in every available freezer in Los Angeles. And now they have to figure out how are they going to how are they going to save them? Because they literally did this. They organized every available commercial freezer to put every water damaged book they could into storage. And then they were just sort of like, now that we've done that, we have to figure out how we're going to save them. And, did they and nothing had them? happened yeah. before. I don't know. That, I right? haven't got that yeah, far. Be yeah. <laughs> but you know, what's really funny is that I do know. Um, I just had the great. For- I have the great fortune to know some librarians who had worked at the Central Library at that time, um, and quite a few of whom were relocated to the sort of temporary warehouses where they were working mm-hmm. um, on preservation and. You know, just making the library run while Central was down. So I kind of have some hints of what was happening, but I'm kind of interested in continuing. So yeah, it's like a loss like that. It's it's um, it's it becomes more interesting than the thing that you think it's it's going to be more like oh the true crime. But there's gonna there's always going to be those questions like what happened. And that's like a Susan Orlean like hallmark. Yes, yeah. her tangents, the way yeah. she goes, she, she'll she'll start to explore one thing, run down a, a million other wormholes, but see all those wormholes through to satisfying conclusions, and spin back around and keep going. So the, the opportunity for her to talk to librarians and walk around the grounds, I mean, that's just ripe for kind of yeah. I think that's why adaptation works so well because adaptation kind of fundamentally got on a storytelling level, the way she told stories. Yeah. You know, it was by not telling the story the way she told it, it and was oddly enough working the same way. Adaptation was, uh, was, was what I was going to use to segue into your pick, and it's a good, it's a good time to talk about it because <laughs> it's, um, it's a great film, and I feel like it's a great adaptation of The Orchid Thief, which is also a great book. I mean, it was her first book, I think. But, uh, yeah, because the book is uh, kind of unfilmable. If you, I mean, if, if you've read it, because it just it is a million tangents, just like probably this book, and just running down all these various 
other things. And so what they did was they kind of encapsulated the themes of the book and just built like a half-baked thriller. (laughs) And then, but then, but it had the themes, the themes of obsession, of loss, of, uh, you know, like what love really is, you know, in terms of the, the, in The Orchid Thief, it's the the story of a, um, this guy LaRoche who was trying to steal this ghost orchid out of the Florida swamps and clone it and sell it. Um, but so it was really about the, he he it was because he just obsessed over this orchid and he was about its beauty and how unique it was and everything and then he the, the crime itself becomes a secondary thing to, to Susan Orlean's time in the Florida you know Everglades just like mm. meeting people and figuring out what what about this lifestyle creates these deep rooted obsessions and what about those obsessions causes us to act and do sometimes not horrendous things I mean stealing a flower in the grand scheme of things is not the worst thing you could do but you know. To, to, to turn it on its edge of that. And Adaptation did a good job of that, I feel yeah. like. And especially because, uh, you know, the Charlie Kaufman at the time was really, he had just come off being John Malkovich, so in terms of the script, there was another chance for him to kind of flex his, his muscle. And, 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 I, and I like Charlie Kaufman because he did Anomalisa a few years ago, which was a great film. And what was the one, the one Alphaville or something that was really kind of out there? Uh, but, uh, yeah. And then Spike Jones directed Adaptation. Yeah. And then, you know, he did being John Malkovich as well, but also all the jackass stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the um, adaptation, I often think about <laughs> whenever I'm starting something where I don't know how to start, because there's just that bit where he goes, "We," he's trying to start the script, and he's like, we begin at the beginning of time, <laughs> and like you see the big bang, and it's just like, we begin at the beginning of time, you know, there's like that frustration of trying to begin with something that's just too big to even start, and you're just like... Also the emotions the of bang. what it's like, yeah. to, you know, like... Great use of mu- music in the movie, the, the Elvis Costello yeah. at, the, at the party scene. Yeah, and I for mean. for creativity and frustration, um, like it is interesting. Like Kaufman and Spike Jones worked together, kind of collaboratively on a couple projects like that, and then sort of spun off on their own. And like Kaufman did, like Cinedoche. That's the one. Cinedoche New York. That was the crazy one. Whatever. It's it's such a strange movie. And then like Spike Jones has got a little bit more like commercial. Um, It was it was funny like to think of them together that they could still sort of make these movies that like people. You could like have a wide release in theaters, and now there's full sort yeah, of like. Yeah, because John Malkovich is life? super weird too. Yeah, but it, yeah, but it works. But they're both yeah, they're, they're almost work. weird commercial. It's I like haven't fun. seen any of these. Sorry, and I'm no. just <laughs> well, no, I'm just absorbing. Uh, yeah. I'm the surrogate for the listener. At the I mean, movies about writing. My my top two yeah. is always Barton Fink and Adaptation. Barton Fink is yeah. Barton yeah. Fink is legit. Um, Barton Fink and. I watched Barton Fink and Miller's Crossing. Like, oh, God, Miller's Crossing is so yeah. good. And that one's underrated because, you know, a lot of it, the Blood Simple, Barton Fink, the Coen Brothers, easy to rattle off. Miller's mm. Crossing gets overlooked, and then the, the Man Who Knew Too Much, they did a remake of that one. That was pretty good, too. I haven't seen that one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I've seen that one. I, the, the Coen Brothers have so many, like, different... I love the Lady Killers, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes and it's no. Yes and no. Yes and no. I liked the one... Um, the, to each the, their um, own. The black and white one. Um, a Simple Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one was... Is that yes. It yeah. Or... Am I mixing up titles? Anyway, A Serious Man. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Serious Man. Yes. Oh, and then also, what was the music... Um, Oh God! His name is uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Yes, that, that was, was good too. Good. In terms of use of music in a movie, that was an excellent. Yeah, I think they're really fascinating because they just never get stagnant. 
they they cross genres so easily. I mean, I know, I know, brother, where art thou? Being a remake yeah. of Othello, like that layer never gets really pushed up. But it, I mean, if it's there, it's there if you want it, and if you don't, it's just a great film on its own. Yeah. And that soundtrack, oh man, that was that blew my mind yeah. when that soundtrack came out. For film wise, like so, we just went and saw Bohemian Rhapsody, which was really funny because right at the beginning, before the movie even started, they had Remy Malek like do a little thing that was like, "Thank you for coming to see the movies," <laughs> and I, I was laughing to myself because I was like. Um, wow, are they having a hard time getting people to see movies in the theater? And then when I really thought about it, the previous movie I'd seen in a theater was a Star Wars movie. So I guess <laughs> maybe I'm part of the problem. But it's it's that was an interesting movie because obviously it's super music driven. But it was good, right? It's, I heard. I mean, it's good. It, you know, it's a complicated like it's a complicated person, and it had a huge um, input from the surviving band members. So like. By necessity, it's not going to be, like, Too, you know. Yeah. And I think it was, like, they were trying kind of, and it's kind of subversive in a way. They were trying really hard to make it almost a happy ending, like mm. almost a happy story. Like, because it didn't actually end with his death. It ended um, several years before his death when he got into a stable relationship with um, uh, his partner, and um, right after Live Aid, when they kind yeah. of were sort of, they settled into a good routine as a band, and he had a steady relationship, and like even though he had his diagnosis, he was still kind of creatively, creatively still working, and and still it's sort of in a good place. And then it like had the crawl screen of like, and you know he passed away, and yet and here's what happened to everybody mm. else. So it was kind of an interesting thing because it was like it went out of its way to not be a tragedy in that way it was kind of, it was fascinating <laughs> i mean it was it it is in part biopic but yeah. it wasn't it was also still telling its kind of own story or the the filmmaker production team were ended it <laughs> it was just an interesting approach i mean it was <laughs> like I, I also think he's just a complicated guy because I don't yeah. know if there was an approach that could actually really get you into his head and the mm -hmm. context of that yeah. I mean he, he was kind of one of the you know that turn of the 80s to 90s and because mm -hmm. he passed like I think 92 93 or something like that or maybe it was earlier yeah that, 93 yeah, yeah. so it was I mean there was just a lot going on with that all everything all yeah. that stuff so I can see where that would be a, a lot to, to go through mm -hmm. where you can yeah. just maybe have it on the nice and he's, he's a cool character, you know. He I mean, Queen are just this huge colossal band. And now. creatively and too, they were the same. Yeah. They never really stopped like they, trying new they, things. They jumped all like, over. Yeah. They, I mean, like, we want to do an opera. Yeah. <laughs> but radio, radio Gaga to like Bicycle Race to Bohemian Rhapsody so to We Are the Champions. So varied. Yeah. yeah. When you see it in the movie too, you're just kind of like, wow, they really could have just easily been, you know, a couple albums and done and they just kind of kept going it's there's um there's like a, a hilarious cameo where the they make the album that bohemian rhapsody's on and the record label guy that doesn't believe in it is mike myers <laughs> <laughs> oh that's nice because that's really was my terrible that was my big awakening queen besides like arena anthems was the bohemian rhapsody scene in Wayne's world and you know to this day i still will headbang oh, during the break because of yeah I when, why 
aren't we playing that right now in the library? <laughs> if what we had a tape deck, I'd pop in the tape like Garth What are does. the licensing restrictions <laughs> on nope. just yeah. breaking into? No, not, not even a fraction of a second. I Dang used to, it. I used to think it was like a, a, a length thing. Like, oh, if you only sample like a microsecond. Nope, they can, they can detect that in a heartbeat now. Yeah. Yeah, the signatures are too good. Dang. Which is fair. Artists should be compensated for the work. Mm-hmm. But I do kind of miss the... also want to share the stuff. <laughs> I do miss fair the peak, I the peak, of, the, the peak the of the sampling beats. era. The peak <laughs> of the sampling era. Like, like you can't even get all the early De La Soul albums because the samples are impossible oh. to clear. And those are, the, I mean, Three Feet High and Rising, Balloon Mind State, De La Soul is Dead are probably three of my favorite hip-hop. Three of my favorite, like, if you, like a top 15, top 25 like hip-hop albums of all time. And yeah, you can't stream them because the sample the samples are impossible to clear, and you have to pay everybody everything. Which yeah, I see both sides of it because I know there are so many destitute artists you read about, like the like the history of the sample, and what happened to the artist. Oh, they like, couldn't make it in the music industry. They're like ended up, you know, like in a halfway house or something. So I feel I feel for that, you know. So I don't want that to happen. But at the same time, I would love. I don't know. There has to, I, I don't know where the, there's no balance there. That's like a, that's a three hour podcast. <laughs> yeah. so. I just love I just like like girl talk. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, illegal art. Yeah, you know, can just that like, still happen? Uh, I mean, that 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 was do- the amount of samples there. He just there has is them online. They, you oh, because they're free. Yeah, yeah that that's, that is fair use. True. And then yeah. I think he makes his money like touring. Because that's where that's where it is DJ. mixed now. Because before you could say, oh, this is a mixtape, so then you could sample to high heaven because it was a mixtape. You're not making the money off it. But now with streaming, people are putting their mixtapes on streaming. If you're making any sort of compensation. They coming for you, so yeah. On the plus side, I think Queen is doing fine. Yeah, (laughs) you hope so. The estate of (laughs) Queen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, and also Freddie Mercury, huge cat lover. So oh, really? Great, some great cat reaction shots in the film. <laughs> <laughs> huge fan. Interesting. <laughs> Unexpected. <laughs> great picks. Quite, we ran the gamut right there. Got? Yeah, because yeah. my pick, I worked in there, but I, have a, I, I can have another one too. Yeah. Uh, my year of rest and relaxation. That one I just started. That? that one's a really, and actually, it's really interesting because what. What drew me to it was sort of, um, it's set in New York, and it's, um, I'm not going to try to say the Pick. author's name, but um, she's, uh, she's um, the main character is a young woman who decides, she's, she goes to this really shady shrink, and she decides that she wants to spend a year sleeping. She's got some family money, her parents have died, uh, she's got unemployment from her job, so she gets the shrink to just prescribe her kind of a never-ending series of like benzos and sleeping pills. This and is fiction she's just or non-fiction? It's fiction. Okay, it's fiction. Thank like God. <laughs> it's fiction. And um, <laughs> so she's just pretty much continuously t- and popping pills. She has one friend who kind of is continually Change the barging. Sheets. Well, just sort of barging <laughs> into the house and, yeah, cleaning up. And she sends out her laundry. But, um, you know, she's kind of falling into this routine and you're kind of just gradually getting the sense of this person's like just massive um it's it's dysphonia no not dysphonia uh, just um dysthemia dysthemia you know it's like beyond depression it's like just like Mm. uh this thing but it's also um the upper east side in uh early 2001 so and she plans to do this for a full year so I'm very curious to see what's gonna um, what's gonna happen when inevitable outside yeah, that's outside world events. That's really intrude. my first question: is how yeah. can you get a, a week of relaxation, let alone a whole year? Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. so yeah. it's uh, so September has not happened yet. But I was, once I realized what time period it was taking place in, I was like, oh, you know, like that's an interesting time and place to set it in. And I was like, yeah. Um, and such an interesting kind of like character dilemma because the character herself doesn't have this 
there's not a lot of self-pity or anything. There's just this plain plan that's just, I do not want to be in the world. I want to, as much as possible, be What happens the when the world... Is going to force its way in, it, yeah. right? And the world is just intruding. So it's just kind of an interesting concept for fiction. So like, that's exciting. Yeah, because normally the idea is to, like, move to a ranch in the Midwest or right. something. Like, Polly Shore and Sunny Law. Sunny Law. surrounded by people. Yeah. yeah. And people yeah. who are all going to go through a very dramatic shift faster change yeah because that's the thing staying in new york even if you're sleeping all day someone's gonna be barging on the door you're gonna get like mail yeah you know so. that's the, the thing ambient yeah, sounds of yeah city life. which, which could be relaxing too that ca- <laughs> that cacophony relaxes me thoroughly she only goes out Honking like once a week things. to fill prescriptions and like go to the bodega does she eat so she, yeah she eats and like that's such a you, you, yeah. you have two, you have two mean, eggs on a roll you have two eggs on a roll what would that look like to do logistically and so like as a fiction concept, I was just fascinated. I, I feel like I lose my mind after a thing. week. Yeah, no. See, that's the thing. Like, you, to get one week of, of that kind of relaxation is one thing. To do it for a whole year, I mean, it's, it's implausible. I, mean, I guess yeah. it also depends on uh, how you were moving through life before that, right. though. If she was transitioning from yeah. a more active lifestyle to... Or, yeah, depending uh, on the age. Because I feel like in your early to mid-20s, you would be able to do that. But, yeah. Any time after that, is like, nope. And just being in the like mental state of thinking that sounds mm. like a great idea is just weird. I was like, that yeah. sounds like a cool fiction concept. How, how did you stumble upon that? That one I think is on. Um, I might be a bit about in the New Yorker, and I think she's an essayist. Are you going to go to I the Montecito New Yorker discussion group? <laughs> uh, I should. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. What's my pick? You want you, me? Is that what that gesture was? I was curious. Was? Oh, I was actually going to ask you, because I talked about two eggs in a roll. Do you mm. call it Taylor ham or pork roll? Taylor ham. Okay. Wasn't sure, because there's a regional question. Yeah, in New Jersey. I don't know there's what that a is. Regional <laughs> <laughs> a regional I meat. have to Google this. Bre- I think that? we've Breakfast meat. Because oh. I was talking about two eggs I in a roll, and I was going to say two eggs, and, two eggs and ham, but would you call it pork roll or Taylor ham? Because I know Taylor Pennsylvania, ham, too, is cheese. pork roll, right? Or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, Pennsylvania has its own other yeah. meats. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Scrapple is a whole other thing as oh, well. Oh, Scrapple's I, good. Scrapple, it's Scrapple different. I feel like Scrapple. that's different. It's uh, not no, the same very cut, different, right? It's yeah. not the same cut. But, but it's crisp. It's you crisp. Know. And I think we've had an offline conversation before about regional cuisine, specifically the breakfast meat. <laughs> So it's kind of funny. I I have some Taylor ham in my freezer. You right br- now. you brought it back. Wow. Yeah, made it through TSA. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, so. you like officer. This is important. It was funny. I got stopped at the TSA leaving Newark, New Jersey, and they must see that though, like all the time. Like he knew exactly the big roll. What that was. <laughs> the big the big roll. Well, of no, meat. it comes in. If you go by Taylor ham is the brand of meat, but so the brand has been co-opted for the name of the the food. And so it's a tailor it's a box and it's just kind of a cylinder of meat. Yeah, it's like a it's like a honking roll. Yeah. So good. Hunk so hunk salty. I love your knowledge of regional meats. <laughs> well, I'm I went to so the, the bodegas in New York, they have the, you can get the two eggs in a roll, but you can add the Taylor ham to it or some other stuff too. Just, so yeah. The only meat I've tried to bring through um, TSA is Italian beef from oh. Chicago because you can get it just like you know packed and then just. At like one point, I did when I was going east. I did bring tamales with me. 
That's so, fair. You know, cultural you exchange. Break. <laughs> I, but I feel like Italian beef has a shelf life where mm. the bread is so soaked that you're just eating it with well, a fork. Well, no, you just get the meat. Oh. Like, so you just you can get the meat like oh, just in a container. That would be awesome. Yeah. Okay, I thought so, you were bringing like yeah. eight sandwiches back. No, you can't back. bring a sandwich because <laughs> the sandwich will get soggy. Yeah, yeah. but even, yeah. even in the moment, and it's you can soggy get enough. Italian rolls here, yeah. which are close enough. But it's the meat itself that's kind of. They have a Portillo's in Buena Park down there, so I used to go there for hot dogs and Italian beef. Yeah, and their little like chocolate cake ice shake or whatever it is, chocolate. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. like, because I went to college in Chicago, and then the, um, because it had a pretty huge film school, a lot of us wound up out in LA, so we would make pretty Pil- regular to build Buena Park, yeah. To and then, th- then there was a fair contingent that when um, I think it's Giordano's and Luminati's, they'll sh- they'll they ship. They ship them. So every now and again, there's a there's an I event. I did worthy sh- of having a I did a Chicago one. deep dish crawl around LA looking because I went to Chicago and I was like I went around like it must find deep dish because because go? because people sometimes look down on deep dish like it's not pizza and sure maybe it's more of a casserole than a pizza but, cake, I but I love it I had deep dish pizza it's for the first time this year it was awesome the place in town did you I know Patchy's they're yeah. pretty good I was yeah they're pretty good I'm still very team thin crust like I like the crunchy crispiness but like the right time and Chicago mm. thin crust is right up there too. I've, I, the I, thin crust I, is yeah, good. I do yeah, actually, but yeah. but deep dish is like. What is hidden. the what is Montagna's restaurant? The one in um, Burbank. Uh, oh, uh, Chase of Chicago. Yeah, Chase of Chicago is not okay. bad. There's one in Placentia called Tony's. They're heavy. They're cheese heavy, but they're probably one of the better ones. And then um, now the Patchy's is here because Patchy's is an mm. offshoot of Zachary's in the Bay Area. And Zachary's was my – there's Zachary's and Little Star in the Bay Area. And those are like the two kind of that go – Zachary's is nice because employee owned like the Green Bay Packers where everyone has a share. But <laughs> Little Star does like more of the like the, the fancier stuff. There's a place in L.A. called Zello go where they Paco. don't do full-on deep dish, but they do cornmeal crust. And it's like eating cornbread pizza and it's a thicker crust. Oh, Zello's good too. And there are a couple of places that I used to go to. The one in Lawndale stuff, they're not closed. But just, just recently a place called Doughbox in El Serino opened up in L.A. Dough box is pretty good. Locally, Nutbelly Pizza in Carpinteria. Oh, yeah. Nutbelly good. good Pizza. But yeah, Patchy's yeah. in town, P-A-T-X-I in downtown Santa Barbara. Their Chicago deep dishes right up there because they went to the school of Zachary, so I, I do approve. There was one in Echo Park for a while. Oh, yeah, Masa. Masa. They're still there. Yeah. Are they still there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, only, the only thing that gets tough is sometimes you find like Californians think that like deep dish just means a thicker crust no. and it's like no it has to be up the sides if it's like a cake sauce on the top possibly you know <laughs> then it's a deep like a pie yeah it's or like not, casserole oh it's not just like like extra it's like an depth. open open face calzone or something. Yeah. yeah, but I remember when I went to Luma Nani's, I was like, oh, this is like it was like being in at Mecca. I was like, it's a oh, pilgrimage. So, I'm so glad I'm here because I did I did Gino's, I did Dewey's, and I did Luma Nani's while I was in Chicago. Yeah. And I, I would say Lou, I like Lou's the best, Luma but Nani's but they're all great. I mean, Giordano's is yeah. pretty good too. Yeah, yeah so yeah. they're always yeah. it's always a good good trip back whenever I get to go. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and even if you sh- Harold's Fried Chicken in Chicago was because they did gizzards and stuff, and that's my that's right on my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you oh mean Cassidy? Your preference? Well, so yeah, right, Cassidy. What do we got? Um, I have a picture book, uh, uh, The Journey by Francesca Sana. Um, it is about, it is the story of a family um, that is put through, uh, who's living a normal life, and then the, uh, politically the world around them uh, falls apart, and they have to kind of figure out, um, they make a journey. Uh, to safety together it's keeping does it take place in a specific region or is it it's very you know there is kind of some allusions to place it's a little bit yeah more (laughs) agnostic um but it's just it's very beautifully illustrated very simple very um 
It has a youth audience in mind, but it's very smart. It's very uh, emotional, soft, and uh, just very well illustrated. I'm flip, we're fl- I'm flipping through it now. <laughs> yeah, one day the it's war. Not, t- one day the war took my father. Yeah, I was like, whoa. Oh yeah, but it it treats. It's a story of hope. It treats something that could be a very hopeless situation, a very difficult. Um, thing to go through uh especially for a child who doesn't necessarily know what's happening or have any context for something um get through that marriage that so that's my sad <laughs> my sad but beautiful pick you know the one too or oh i just i always have madeline that's a good one <laughs> Ludwig. madeline and babar were the closest i ever felt to being like this like like, ooh, like mm-hmm. fancy, I used to have Madeline memorized. <laughs> I don't know if that violates copyright. <laughs> Fair use. You know, and it's so, uh, I'm now also flipping through it. Illustrations. rhymes, unique art. Iconic at this point. Iconic, I would say. extremely. Babar and Madeline, I still think of them. Babar. Yeah. Oh, and I only know Babar from HBO. They had a cartoon first, yeah, and then yeah. I found the books from there. Yeah. It was like, yeah. We had pirate cables, so I got to watch it. We had pirate cables, so we got HBO. Has the statute of limitations expired on that? Dad, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any other picks? Yes. Um, Adaptation from earlier and uh, Brazil, the the Terry Gilliam film. Specifically, I mean, we don't have it here. We have the Criterion of Brazil here, but when Criterion first issued Brazil, they issued in a three DVD box set. And I used to call that film school in a box for people because it had all the behind-the-scenes making ofs of Brazil. And it was just really um, – because Brazil was a highly contentious production where it was – the film didn't like the cut. They re-edited, put out the cut that they wanted. And uh, and so in terms of the how the sausage is made, of getting a film made and all that stuff, mm-hmm. the Brazil criterion – and, and even the production documentaries at the time because everyone does a commentary and a, and a making of now – but at the time, it was very rare, and Terry Gilliam at the time was fortunate enough, to, I mean, or forward-seeing enough to do all this making of stuff behind the scenes, the making of stuff and the post-production stuff, and that was illuminating at the time because the Criterion came out, like, you know, The Matrix came out in 99, so that was, like, the first real DVD, and maybe this Criterion came out, like, 98, 99, because I remember it was, like, one of those things, like, people with DVD players, were they were having, like, 10 DVDs you must own, and I was like, oh, what's this? Because I, I hadn't heard of Brazil before, you know? I hadn't seen it. So the film just blew me away. Oh yeah, so we have yeah we have it on Hoopla as well. Hoopla, and we have the Criterion DVD here, but it's not the three DVD Criterion. So you get some special features. I think the making of is there, but the behind the scenes Brazil and the production stuff I think is on the three DVD set. Still, so you have to borrow from me if you actually want that one. Yeah, or me. <laughs> yeah, you have the three DVD <laughs> one. Yeah, the, the the features on that. I mean, at the because at the time features were. I mean, they're 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 part of the production now. Yeah. I mean, you build the commentaries in, you build the making of making ofs mm-hmm. in. But Gilliam was very, I mean, very innovative in that that he did a great job with them. And I remember watching them and, and like really being pumped to make a film afterwards. Absolutely, because it was it was all everything you could need to want to know just by watching. It was like the how the sausage is made it was impressive, and the history of Brazil as a production, and for Terry Gilliam who came from Monty Python into doing more serious film. Because even after that, he did Twelve Monkeys, Time Bandits, you know, and all the, a lot of films that I love of his. He's one of my favorite favorite directors, even though his body of work can be uneven. <laughs> <laughs> uneven is the nicest <laughs> Although I even like Zero Theorem that just came out not too long ago with, uh, oh, what's his name? He was in Inglorious Bastards. Um, Christoph Waltz? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but. Waltz <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Brazil and then uh, Adaptation we mentioned earlier. Those are my picks. 
I always endorse the half-off Criterion Collection sale. Is it going on right now? I don't know. It usually happens at Barnes and Noble. It would be around now. Yeah, it, it had it, it was, and it, but I'm also disappointed the loss of Filmstruck. Filmstruck, R.I.P. Filmstruck. Yeah. Um, Although maybe someone's gonna. S- I hope someone will save it. And I mean, because who had the rights to Criterion Two? And maybe they'll just go back to Hulu. I don't know. But uh, Filmstruck was a classic. It was like it was like Turner Classic Movie Streaming because it had all the classic films and it had all the the entire Criterion Collection. And uh, the classic films, especially, are really hard to find on streaming. And I, you know, as someone who loves, loves classic cinema, you know, it's just they're, they're a lot of movies are hard to find. I want to watch Sullivan's Travel sometimes, or even Sunset Boulevard. Even the iconic, large capital M movies of the classic era are hard to find. It know. is. It is a rough transition. People, that, uh, people should s- stay aware, stay woke <laughs> on 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 this transition. That a lot of things are going out of print in DVD with this assumption that they're all going to be on mm-hmm. streaming. But the licensing requirements are really the way the contracts uh, are worked out. And, and then <laughs> yeah. one reason why Netflix and Amazon and these services have pivoted to creating original works is because the contract requirements for licensing some of these films are becoming onerous. I mean, yeah. that's a conversation that has to be had and will be had throughout our lifetimes, but um, finding the classic films, fortunately the library does have a, a very yes. excellent robust. DVD collection. Yes, quite robust. Um, so yeah, I've been scratching my itch via the DVDs, but Filmstruck really filled the void for me. And um, yeah. But they I don't think they had the criterion uh, features for Brazil either, so what is worth. So tracking down that three D V D box set. <laughs> do, what you find c- it. do what you can. Yeah. But yeah. So All right. All right. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Oh, do we want to do uh, uh, any holiday things? Oh. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. I'm heading well, I'm heading points east for my holiday travels. Where what are, you, what are your plans, or what are you thinking? What you are going you going anywhere? I'm, I what might you be looking forward to watching this holiday season? Well, we were talking about holiday. We did a holiday movie discussion, and um, Home for the Holidays, The Ref, Christmas Story, of course. Obviously. And then what's that Sinbad one? Uh, Jingle All the Way, the one with Schwarzenegger. <laughs> 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 Not the oh Santa Claus. Not the Santa Claus for you. Oh no, Santa Come Claus on. is excellent. Santa, Santa Claus is classic. I, I just showed Santa Claus to my son last year, and him the, the way they did Santa's workshop in that. I excellent. have a friend that will start trolling us uh, December 1st with Jingle All the Way, so I'm <laughs> Jingle All the Way out <laughs> at this point. <laughs> the I National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is not, no jingle all the, not way. the best I'm National gonna, Lampoon. I'm going to take a controversial stance here. Um, this may be a source of some contention among the library staff and, uh, and our listeners. I am pro- uh, unabashedly pro love actually oh no unabashedly who is anti though uh, some, that people, no, are. some people are some people are some people find okay the, the, the after love and actually, they are like, wrong the first christmas <laughs> the first christmas and the other ones that came after are a little too honey like sickly sweet but love actually no come on i mean love actually if you is have amazing any, if you enjoy romantic comedies at all and you if cannot you ever hate feel like it dips too saccharine like you have phil nice rock star like it's it's a great film. Yeah. It's a and great they all, And movie. the way they all come together, I mean, th- it all wraps up in a neat, tidy little package. Quite called holiday appropriate. I That's what I want for the holidays. <laughs> I love story like that, actually. Everybody's <laughs> well wrapped up, God. <laughs> everybody to meet uh. at the airport. And, you know, oh, and Die Hard. Yes, I oh, yes. Die Hard is my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, die Hard. <laughs> die Hard is a solid <laughs> choice. Um, I'm fond of the family stone. I oh, guess. yeah. Yeah. More contemporary. A little bit more subtle, but still, when you have to bring various family members together oh, <laughs> but yeah. it's nice it's a good reminder that sometimes like 
That's the nature of family, that you don't always pick them. <laughs> but then, and then it's a true litmus test. Is blood thicker than water? Because no matter what, are you ride or die? And then I walk out the door, I'm like, yeah, I'd probably take a bullet from my sisters, but, you know. <laughs> and they still get on my nerves. <laughs> I didn't choose you, but here you are. <laughs> We're yeah, all here together. And they, they probably say the same thing about me times so 10, where they're exactly. like, this guy needs to get his act together, but all right, I'll pay your, I'll pay your car bill. <laughs> no car bills for the, for the, for the record, so yeah. Just an anecdote. It's usually just dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because in, in my family, you have to fight for the bill. Like, yeah. oh, I'll pay, I'll pay, I'll pay. And I'm always that one that's like a little slow to the trigger. Like, it's like, because mm, with, with all y'all, I'm, I'm quick. But in, in, on the Chinese scale, I'm like really slow. So I'm like, mm, and they're like, oh, I see you, huh? I'm lagging over there. So yeah. <laughs> As the youngest and the one who works for the government, I'm always like, my, my other two sisters are in finance. So it always becomes this like. What are you doing? They can probably write it off, though. I'm just like the, the write-offs are much more creative. I know. Than <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I can buy a meal. I am not 20. And I'm just like, no, it's fine. It's like, okay. All right. Thank you. My family is slowly coming over to the public sector. At first, they're like, you should be chasing that. But now they're like, you get retired? You have a retirement? I'm like, I'm like, they're like, what is that? I'm like, yeah, that's right. See you in 20. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, all um, take care. Take care. Have a happy holiday. Happy holiday. And we'll see you soon. Thank you again, Dolly. Yep. Thank you. We'll see you at the library. Bye.